Welcome into football and other F words. My name is Zach Lynch. Follow me on Twitter at F words pod. You can follow Mike Herndon and I'll just make it easy for everybody. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Herndon NFL. But if you're looking for his past tweets to see if they aged well or not, you have to use that Mike Miracles. So it's like a new, it's like you kind of tricked everybody because I went back, I saw a bunch of people like, you know, making fun of you for a couple tweets. And I was like, I want to join in. Let's look for Tajay Sharp. And I put in at Mike Herndon NFL. Nothing popped up. I was like, this motherfucker has scrubbed his Twitter feed in 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 all this. And uh, it turns out it's just it's all under at Mike Miracles. Twitter does not retroactively go back and change everything about your Twitter uh, history. It does not. It does not. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, hey, uh, move the microphone up a little closer to you. We are brought to you by, because this is football and other F-words, just in case I didn't tell everybody that. This is football and other F-words, and we are brought to you by Jaspers. Where else can you go on Sundays and get two-for-one beers? I don't know, and I don't care, because I'm going to Jaspers, because Jaspers is the place to go on Sundays to watch your Tennessee Titans. Head over to Jaspers for any any kind of NFL football you want. Two-for-one on Sundays, beer. And they got craft beer. It's not, you know, your chintzy little, you know, bush lights or whatever, which if that's your thing, that's okay. You're just not going to get it there. So head over to Jasper's and get two for ones and get great food. They are elevating the sports bar scene. And we, of course, are both members of Broadway Sports Network. And Mike is, of course, writes articles every Wednesday. You can find on paulkarski.com. Uh, did I? Oh, and 440 Sports. We're part of the 440 Sports Network. You're going to have, if you are really into SEC football, because there has been drama, this SEC football season has delivered on the quality of games, the drama, the competition. Go check out the Fringe Element over on uh, the 440 Network. And then, of course, a football show is live every Monday. Every Thursday, 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. And come join us at the pharmacy on Mondays because, I mean, why not? It's it's fun stuff. Mike. Heckle. Heckle. Heckle's out. Yeah, come on. I mean, the heckler that they sent agreed with me on everything. What good is that heckler if he agrees with me on everything? I and may it, come next week just to heckle you. I like it. Joe uh, is the guy who came. And Joe has actually inspired one of our topics that we'll talk to later today. But we're going to talk about the Colts when, obviously, what are some takeaways? Where are we at a few days later on the quality of this win? What is the offensive line's issue? And we're going to talk about Traylon Burks. We're going to talk about some draft picks. And, of course, we're going to talk about the Washington football team, uh, the game up in – where where is it at, Mike? What, what state is it in? <laughs> because you uh, messed it up royally all weekend. It's uh, Maryland, right? That, right. It's in Maryland. Okay, I know that now. I, I So what confused me – is the site that they're looking at building the new uh, commie stadium in is in Virginia. So I was like, oh, they're just, you know, I'm sure they're just moving down the road. No, they're switching states entirely because they're, they're a, a homeless uh, vagabond franchise that, that, you know, plays like it on the field too. Well, I like that you told everybody that it was in Nashville first. And then you said, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, it's in Virginia. You'll have to rebook your tickets for Virginia. And I'm like, no, Washington, D.C. is not in Virginia. It's in Maryland. I'm trying to save everyone from actually having to visit that dump of a stadium. So, yeah, uh, I'm just trying. This is intentional misdirection on my part. Uh, so let's just get into it. The The Colts win. In, in the scheme of things from the Titans' standpoint, it's a massive on the road in division rival victory. 
but you've had a couple of days now, Mike, to let this marinate. Where are you at on the quality of this win compared to the quality of the win against the Raiders compared to the quality of the games they've even lost to? Like, where are you at with this team just sorely, purely based off this win? Um, It's a step in the right direction to me. Like, I think it's continuing what has been a generally positive trend since the debacle in Buffalo, obviously. Um, they look, it wasn't a perfect game by any means. Obviously they run out to the huge lead again. Uh, they, you know, nearly blow it again in the second half, but it it's, I, I still think it's a better win than, than what the Raiders win was, um, different teams, but you can see, especially defensively what they're trying to do. Like, you know, they're, they intentionally took away Darren Waller and Devonte Adams the previous week. They intentionally took away uh, Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman this week. You know, they're going to they're, – they've been very successful with that defensively. And then obvi- offensively, obviously, it's just one half versus the other. One half, they look unstoppable. The next half, they look like they've never played football before. So it's it's still a mixed bag. Um, and, and I thought, you know, Paul Koharski and I talked about this a little bit, and he ended up writing on it um, – if the game plays out differently, would how much different would you feel? Like if it was they sucked in the first half, but then they made this massive comeback. If they were down seven to three at halftime, seventeen to three at halftime, and then they scored twenty four points in the second half and won, would you feel you'd feel a lot better? I feel like coming off of that game. So at the end of the day, I don't know that it matters when the points are scored as long as the Titans end up with more than the other team at the end of the day. But the this first half versus second half thing is one of the most bizarre things I think I've ever seen watching football, not even just the Titans, just watching football in general. Like I can't remember a team that's been so Jekyll and Hyde first half versus second half. Um, It's bizarre and it's strange. And I don't think there's a simple explanation either. So it's kind of baffling to me. Well, I think, I think it for this particular team and the trend that is happening right now, as I I think it does matter when the points are scored. Because when you face off like a team against the Bills and you don't get a big gigantic lead, the, and you the trend is right now until proven otherwise, you are not going to score points in the second half, um, then you're kind of sunk. Or if you're playing even a team closely in the in the first half, because I mean, apparently even a 13 lead point lead wasn't safe against the New York Giants for this team. You know, I I I think at this point. I don't know what the issue is because, you know, last week Vrabel said against the Raiders, he pointed directly to execution. And it must have been the Mike and Mike show because you said the same thing because you pointed directly at execution. It wasn't that they did anything differently on play calling. It was execution. This week he kind of alluded to that it was a little bit of play calling and a little bit of the execution. But here's where I'm at on the play calling. If the play calling is this isn't is the same in the first half and the second half is the same, then isn't that an issue in and of itself that there's no adjustments being made? You're not throwing any new wrinkles in the second half based off plays that you ran in the first half. Like if you're running still the same looks and the same basic plays, because plays are supposed to set you up for success later on down the road. Like you throw in a couple of run plays at the beginning of the game, they may suck, but they're to set up a pass play later in the game, right? 
if the, if there's no adjustments and the other team is making the adjustments, isn't that an issue in and of itself beyond just executing the same old plays you're basically creating in the first? I mean, kind of. I, I, I understand where you're coming from, and I certainly agree that you are certainly going to run some plays in the first half to try to set you up for for you know a counterpunch later on that that you can bait them into. And we've seen them do that within first halves before where they are right. running plays in a sequence and then they've got a counterpunch right off of that uh, that works because they just showed them something else and they're reacting to that in, in real time. So we know that they can do that. We know that they do think in that term of layering plays and building off of certain concepts. I, I honestly can't tell you why the second half stuff is happening because to me, I know, I know, to me, like the play calling makes sense in the fact that they have always under Mike Vrabel with Derrick Henry leaned on Derrick Henry when they get up big and, and they run teams into submission. And most of the time in previous years, that has worked. That has worked because, you know, Henry has, you look at Henry's third quarter and fourth quarter numbers and they are insane. You know, he is a guy that builds as the game goes on. He builds as the season goes on. We know this about Derrick Henry. It's proven to be true every year of his entire NFL career. With the exception of this year so far, he has been much better in the first half than the second half. And it's just odd to me because it's not like in years previous, they were doing something crazy schematically that was freeing Derrick Henry up to run for all these yards in the second half. They were just wearing teams down physically. And I don't know if it's just because it's early in the season and, and teams are still pretty fresh and and not, you know, as banged up as they will be in week 10 or 12 or 17 or whatever down the road. Maybe this will work better. This approach will work better. But right now it's not working. And the Titans have always struggled to have a counterpunch when the run doesn't work. And I think that's what you're seeing is is when the run doesn't work, the offense breaks. And, and that is a problem. But I, I don't know if that's a Todd Downing problem or if that's a Ryan Tannehill problem. Because frankly, it broke under Arthur Smith, who, you know, I think we would all say is has proven to be one of the better play callers in the NFL uh at this point with what he's doing in Atlanta and and what he did during his two years here. It's it was the same thing. It was you know, remember the Raven the Ravens game, like run game breaks, so does the rest of the offense. So I think that's just kind of a reality. And if they can't figure out how to run the ball in the second half, this is going to continue to be a problem. So I, I don't know if it's an execution thing. I don't know and it, I think it was against the Raiders. I haven't watched enough of the all twenty two yet to really say for sure on on this Colts game, but you know, they've got to figure it out one way or another because certainly you can't continue to have this be a massive issue game in and game out. Um, it's not going to work long term in the season if you are scoring zero points every second half. I mean, it, it, it's bizarre. It's it's the most bizarre thing because you, you just really break it down. It's the same players, right? It, they're they're using the same players. They're the same the scheme running, over and over. It's just like it, it plays. I, mean. it, I think you alluded to it in the group chat, and I talked about it a little bit on 440 Sports because we talked about Derrick Henry is obviously going to be thinking about, even though he says he's not, about returning to the place where he injured his foot. He's obviously, whether that is he's using it as positive fuel 
or he's using it as hesitation, doesn't really matter. He is thinking about it. And I think that it's in these players' heads. You saw Derrick Henry after the game just be visibly disgusted and angry that this team can't score points in the second half. So I, I almost think it's like they are in a slump and they're not being able to snap themselves out of the slump without with with something new they're trying to get themselves out of the slump by doing the same old same old i think that like if you tried something maybe different maybe it'll just break some kind of mental hold that this second half has on this team yeah and it's 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 really crazy i do wonder if yeah maybe it is snuck into their head and it's partially a mental thing now after you know four games of it um but yeah you know, if that analytics department didn't exist, they may never know that they had second half problems. That fucking uh, analytics true. department. They they're they are adding up the ones and the twos, baby. <laughs> it is uh, you know, they they've got all the numbers over there. The um the the game itself showed a lot of the stuff that we have been craving for from this team. Chigokonkwu, you know, going out there and having a, a heck of a game. He's now four for four when he's targeted, you know, <laughs> four catches on four targets, and he has a touchdown, a crucial first down. I mean, the guy makes plays, gets open, runs the routes, obviously has a trust from Ryan Tannehill. <coughs> Excuse me. Hopefully, we see more of that. I feel like he gets a game ball. Obviously, Derrick Henry gets a game ball because Derrick Henry's inching closer and closer to the player that he once was. And then the entire defense, for the most part, especially your pass, your run defense part and your pass rush, they just harassed a shitty Colts offense. And that's that's what you want to see. I'm not taking anything away from the Tennessee Titans defense for by saying that the Colts are a shitty offense. That's what we have seen team do very little of. Like when they go up against a shitty team, remember when the Bengals had five of their starting offensive linemen out or something crazy like that, and they got zero pressure with Jadavian Clowney and Harold Landry? This is the this would have been the kind of game that the Tennessee Titans defense normally does not get pressure on the quarterback. And he would just had a field day and he wouldn't have made mistakes and he wouldn't have been harassed and made fumbles. But they did it and they took advantage of a shitty Colts offensive line, a shitty Colts game plan, and a shitty Colts quarterback. So if I'm handing out game balls, I'm handing out to the run defense slash pass rush, handing out to Chig, and handing out to Derrick Henry. Yeah, and I, I think that's all right. I mean, I, I think I think defensively, I was almost I was more impressed with what they did defensively than um, you know probably the numbers suggest, just because they were without five starters and a lot of the guys that they stuck in there. I mean, Andrew Adams, like who hadn't been active for this team yet. Uh, Joe Schobert played a ton of snaps and and uh, ended up having a key play when he kind of was able to help break out that ball from Jonathan Taylor in a key spot. Um, you know, obviously they were without Bud Dupree for almost all of this game. Uh, Landry Molden still out. Uh, Nozak Cunningham, obviously, like the uh, Noah Monty Hooker, a huge chunk of their really strong players on defense being out of this game and, and guys coming in, not like you know, players who had been here and were like ready to step up. We're talking guys, you know, Mario Edwards had a ton of snaps, uh, fresh off the street. I mean, <laughs> like. Right. If you look at Edwards, uh, Terrence Mitchell, Andrew Adams, and Joe Schobert, you're talking about like four guys who were basically playing starter snaps in this game who had not been on the team for more than like two or three weeks. So it is, 
you know, a testament to, I think, the coaching staff that they were able to get that kind of defensive performance out of that group of players because, like, the stars were stars. Like, Autry and Simmons were fantastic. David Long was fantastic. Christian Dupree Paul, was in. Well. He was really good. Yeah, when Dupree was in, he was he was impactful. So, um, it's like it, it's it's just so hard to evaluate this team right now. I feel like because it's such a mixed bag between first half and second half on offense, and then the the defense. You're just looking at the parts and going like, there's good things that are happening, but then there's so many little issues that keep popping up that you know are concerning and. and They've got to be healthy. They've got to have Bud Dupree. Like, they've got to have Bud Dupree. There's just no two ways about it. Like, I know Rashad Weaver's got four sacks already, but... He's on the like, path to 17, baby. It, it is... If he if he continues this pace, it'll be the most fraudulent 17-sack season of all time, and I'm not, like, not even close. And I'm not trying to take a shot at Rashad Weaver. He's played pretty well, and, like, he's he's made an impact, which is awesome but he has not been anywhere near as good as the four sacks would indicate. Um, I think Danico Autry is playing four sacks. Good. I think, uh, you know, Jeff Simmons is playing four sacks. Good. I, I don't think, you know, Weaver's cleaned up a couple and, and, you know, he's, he's had some good rushes too, but um, yeah, they, they've got to have Bud Dupree. But isn't that, uh, I, I'm not saying first off, I agree with you on the Bud Dupree thing, but to go to the Rashad Weaver thing and, and all that kind of stuff, isn't that what the big knock of Harold Landry was, was the cleanup sacks? Like, he did a lot of other stuff. So, are you saying that Rashad Weaver, yeah, great for your cleanup sacks, but we need more pressures, more hurries, more hits out of you, like what Harold Landry did, because we're not getting enough of the other pressures, just these cleanup sacks. Well, I think it's that, and it's also like, I mean, he's not as good of an edge defender against the run um, as Landry, which which we all, we all expected, but... The thing that I I think is most problematic for the Titans defensive run, and and I've talked about this a little bit already, so I'm not going to go harp on it too much, speed. but it's a lack of speed. They have nobody up front with any sort of dynamic dynamicism when Autry or no, when uh, Dupree and um, Adani are out. Like those two are the only guys who are real athletes. Um, and and I like look. I mean Jeffrey Simmons is an athlete. I don't get me wrong, but he is not faster than most quarterbacks Dupree and Adani are faster than most quarterbacks and it is important that you have guys that can track down these quarterbacks because otherwise like even I mean Matt Ryan's a statue but even like Derek Carr is going to be able to run away from Danico Autry so when he gets into the backfield it's great that he's getting pressure but that's not going to force Carr into a bad decision it's going to force Carr to run um, which is better than nothing but it's also not creating an automatic negative play. So I well, think specifically you look at the AFC West and every one of their quarterbacks can make plays with their legs. You can make yeah. fun of the, including Derek Carr in that all you want. But if you watch the games over the weekend, Derek Carr made a lot of plays with his leg and he's all, he's sneaky athletic. He's sneaky athletic. <laughs> he is. And in the, in the Dan Patrick way. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, they, they're very much missing that element when Dupree and Adani are not in. And and so even getting Adani back, I think, would be a big deal. I don't think we'll see Dupree this week, my guess, uh, after aggravating the hip injury that held him out the previous week and now having one week before the bye, I think they'll probably shut him down and try to get him healthy uh, before that Colts game. But either way, that that's that's the biggest blinking light on the defense to me and really on the roster as a whole. The, the Caleb Farley slipping – 
on coverage really got it under everybody's skin, especially you, Mike, because you said this is why he's not out there because not because obviously that field is, you know, completely perfect and nobody's ever slipped in a football game ever. Jack, Jack rabbit Jenkins, but other than that play, he got some snaps. They, they seem to be like what they saw according to what Vrabel said, you know, in Monday's press conference, they liked what he saw, liked the, the progression obviously wasn't perfect. Yeah, he slipped. But that's not really a mental error, right? I mean, it's just like you just slipped. It's kind of like it's shitty luck that it happened to Caleb Farley of all people. It could have happened to anybody, but it happened to Caleb Farley. It's true. But if they are saying they saw encouraging signs, do you feel a little bit more encouraged about Caleb Farley? Are you still like the same you were, no wavelength, nothing's changed, you still got to see more? I thought I thought he was okay. Um, you know that that the big play to Pierce obviously frustrating. Um, but it's I think it's he only the, covered Pierce too. By the way, I think well, at least all the balls thrown to his way were only when he was covering Pierce. But that's, I don't know if that was just by design or whatever. But I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, I'm not totally sure on that either because the odd thing was. The Titans had they, they really played size. I mean, they didn't they weren't following guys from what I could tell. Um, but the the Colts almost exclusively had Pittman over there on the left side against Fulton. So I, I'm not sure why they did that because Fulton is clearly the best corner that the Titans have right now. Um, so I, I'm you know, but hey, the, the Colts are the Colts. So uh but Farley that that play to Pierce is one of the more difficult plays for a corner because you're especially when you're in press man and you're really tracking behind you're in a kind of trail technique behind the receiver and you don't have eyes back to the ball so you have no way to know that it's severely underthrown until the receiver slams on the brakes and and probably gives you a little you know push by as as you go um so it's it's something that's really hard to play uh generally i you know honestly I also you've uh, you softened your stance a little bit since you I, said this is why look, he's not in it was listen, you were so mad i, <laughs> were so I, I mad. thought i thought the group chat was a safe space where we could talk <laughs> and have our initial like emotional reactions as the game is happening but you can now where this is a few days later so i want to see how it changed <laughs> it's kind of like when aj you know i asked lebowski after aj brown got traded you know how he felt a couple days later so i'm asking you how you feel a couple days later now yeah no i i mean like obviously opinions can change i'm okay with yeah. that opinions can i mean change. in real time obviously it's like oh god all right you know is, are they about to start picking on farley again um but he was okay like he makes i feel like he's done a pretty good job tackling like that's been something i've been pleasantly surprised with him on obviously that's not the thing you want your corner to be known for um and that's why i think like Roger McCreary leading the team in tackles and stuff like that. I saw some some account, and I can't remember who it was, was posting that, like, uh, Roger McCreary leads the Titans in tackles. That's and not I'm like, good. Well, that sucks. That's bad. That's a bad stat for both him and the team. Um, <laughs> it's not good. So it's um, – I, mean, I guess I, it's good in the sense of how they play defense, uh, just yeah, to play devil's I mean, advocate, because they play bend, don't break. But obviously you don't want your receiver – you know catching the ball you'd rather have pass breakups which no cornerback had a pass breakup this this week for Vrabel said Farley did but I don't remember Farley knocking a ball out of any receiver's hands and supposedly neither does PFF for what that's yeah. worth yeah well yeah no no statistical um yeah that's just that someone talking out their ass I feel like um 
Look, Tier Tart leads this team in pass breakups, yeah. by the way, with three <laughs> compared like nobody else in and you know who's second? Tie from Jeffrey Simmons and Amani Hooker. Oh my <laughs> so, gosh. So the Titans defensive tackles getting it done in the PBU uh, uh arena right now. Yeah, and and to me that's that's a problem. So that that's that goes to the tackling thing. It's a bigger problem. Let's get into this pass blocking offensive line because I posted a stat and I, I knew the answer, but I just kind of want to, I don't want to like, I want people to come to their own conclusion, but I, I talked about the air yards. I said, for whatever reason, the Titans air yards are going down year after week after week. I mean, they're going down from nine over nine in the first, in the first game. Now they're around 4.5 in this last game and they went down precipitously very quick. It's obviously the lack of trust in the offensive line and the, and it's earned. It hasn't been earned. No trust has been earned from this offensive line since Taylor, the one has gone down that they can protect Ryan Tannehill long enough. Now, could they do stuff to combat that? Like play action passes? Yes. Obviously play action passes this past week, uh, nine play action dropbacks, four pressures, still not a good stat, by the way, it's not good. But when you go to 12 traditional dropbacks, there were eight pressures. So obviously that one was way worse. This offensive line over the years has always taken a long time to gel. It has always taken forever to get together and come together as a unit. And this was trending until Taylor Lewan went out to be probably a quicker turnaround than most because most of these guys were available in practice. Most of these guys, you know, spent the offseason together. And even though Nate Davis didn't, it didn't affect Nate Davis's play at all like it has in the past. Nate Davis has been the best offensive lineman on this team. Will the offensive line turn around? Is there any hope, Mike? Because obviously they're not going to go out and spend money and get a big name free agent like Eric Flowers, or they would have done it in the offseason. They're they're sticking with these guys or scrubs that they'll find off the street or the practice squad. So can the combination of Dennis Daly, Aaron Brewer, Ben Jones, Nate Davis, and NPF, will they gel and get to a respectable level, like just NFL average good? Or do you have zero hope that that's going to happen? Here's here's why I do have hope that, that that'll happen. For one, it's happened almost every single season that Brable has been in Tennessee and that Keith Carter has been the offensive line coach. They almost always get better as the year goes on, uh, both as a run-blocking unit and pass-blocking. Like they, they are one of the groups that, that tends to perform better as the year goes. But also, specifically Nicholas Petit-Frere, uh, I think he's he's the key guy to me because Dennis Daly is what he is. Like I think he'll get better as he gets more comfortable in this scheme, uh, playing next to Aaron Brewer. You know, just knowing the offense, everything like that. That we're still, uh, you know, he's been he's had a lot put on him very quickly here. Um, so I think it's it's fair to say you could expect him to play a little bit better, but he is still a very limited player. He's played a lot of football. It's, there's not some huge breakthrough where he's going to be a, a really good left tackle coming. But what you could see is Nicholas Petit-Frere becoming a really good right tackle. And we saw it with Nate Davis, right, when he was a rookie. You may remember those first few starts for Nate Davis were a train wreck. I mean, he looked awful. 
Um, and that's not surprising. Like he wasn't worse than Jamil Douglas, who was, you know, bad and had been a veteran and was always bad. Uh, but he was still bad. He was, he was giving up a lot of pressures. He was getting absolutely dusted at times. The same thing is happening with Nicholas Petit Frere, but you saw the flashes with Nate Davis and you're seeing the flashes with MPF. So I think, you know, if you watch that offensive line from that 2019 season, by the end of the year, they're steamrolling people because Nate Davis had made a huge leap. And, you know, they also had gotten better play from Lawan and Saffold and Ben Jones. And, um, you know, they had our, and Dennis Kelly on the right side. So they were, they improved as the year went on. But Nate Davis became a non liability by the end of that season. I think MPF will follow a similar track. It's, it's going to take some time. Like he's not going to be good. Like he's not going to be shut down right tackle tomorrow um, or against the commanders this weekend. But, by the time they, you know, are playing in week 10, maybe, maybe he's a, you know, much better player. He should be a much better player uh, by that point than he is right now. So I think if he is able to be solidified and you're almost, you're, you know, you're able to slide some protection, slide some help to daily, which right now they're helping to tackle both tackles a lot, but it gives you more options when you have a guy that you can trust on an Island on the edge. And that, that allows you to get more guys into the route. I mean, Mitchell Schwartz had a tweet this morning that I, I quote tweeted about, it was about the Rams offensive line, but it completely which applied. Completely decimated last night. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Which is the Niners defense is fantastic. That'll do it. They'll do that to a lot of teams, but he says, this is what happens when your offensive line isn't good and or you don't trust your offensive line. You run the ball too much, you throw screens, quick passes, nakeds, max protection, play action, uh, and leaving guys in to chip on downfield passes. It makes your playbook condense and you become predictable. Who does that sound like? It sounds exactly it, like the Tennessee Titans and the reason why their air yards and efficiency has gone down week after week after week after week. Exactly. They do not trust these tackles and rightfully so, because when they do leave them on, leave them on an Island, they get beat. And I, that's not a, like, like I said, NPF will get better. I'm not so sure about daily, but if you had just one that you could trust, it opens up a lot of things that you can do from a protection standpoint and from a getting more guys out in the route standpoint, which, you know, obviously makes the defense cover more ground, you know, gives you more opportunities in the passing game. So MPS development yeah. is super crucial to this offense. Well, you know how I know that the uh, Tennessee Titans um, don't trust their tackles is that they literally ne never threw to Jeff Swain this whole game. That means that he was in there for the majority of the time blocking because they do not trust Austin Hooper and they do not trust these offensive tackles to do their job. So, I'm with you. It's a huge issue. It's the main issue plaguing this offense. I don't really think there's a Ryan Tannehill issue. I don't think there's a pass catcher issue. I don't think there is a running game issue as far as the talent is concerned. It is all down the offensive line. And that is one of the reasons why I think that you're seeing less adjustments. And I think you're seeing a lot of just bland, predictable play calling because they can't open up their playbook because they don't have an offensive line that allows them to do that. I, I agree. And, it, and if you want to look, Nate Davis really kind of took a leap during his rookie year after the bye. Um, the Titans buy is a lot earlier this this year than but it is. MPF is playing more games. 
He has. Because he started earlier. So will uh, MPF, I think, only played four or five games before the bye, right? Uh, yeah, so Davis had played uh, seven games before the bye. So, so he'll play MPF six. MPF will, will have played five. Oh, five. Um, so, but I, I think that that is kind of a landmark because regardless of like how many games played necessarily, the bye is a time where they go back and they self scout and they, they can look at and show guys like, look, this is why you got beat on this play. Like sometimes uh, they're doing a little bit of that obviously during the season, but they get to work to correct some of that stuff more during the bye week than they do, you know, from week to week when they're really, they're snapping that focus to the next opponent almost immediately um, following the game. So it's, I think that's an important landmark and we'll see what, what NPF looks like coming off the bye against the Colts. I think that'll be an important game to see. All right. Is he, is he taking that next step and are they going to be able to start to get some traction where maybe they can get to a point where they trust one of their tackles, um, which would be a big step forward. Before we get into turf toes and the commanders, we are brought to you by Jaspers, so please head over to Jaspers Get on Sundays, get their two-for-ones. Go over there for lunch. They have a patio. You can sit out there, and you can watch all the bachelorette parties uh, stumble home after um, a night out. Uh, you got all kinds of good food, uh, fantastic selection of salads, great wings, good, just good, 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 good food that you can get over at Jaspers. So head, head over to Jaspers in Nashville. And, of course, on Thursdays, there is the Mike Herndon Show. You have to be a Broadway insider to get it. So head over to broadwaysportsmedia.com and become a Broadway insider. It is less than four. It's right around $4 a month to be a Broadway insider. Great deal, in my mind, especially because you're getting all the written content, all the getting all of it early or some of it exclusive. And, of course, you're getting the Mike Herndon Show in both audio and video format. That is on Thursdays. Mike, what do you got on tap this week for that particular show? So by that point, I will have gone through uh, the All-22 extensively, and, and I'll, we'll probably have another uh, clip segment, probably not quite as long as, as what we went last week with the, uh, the video clips. I, I love to get carried away with those. But um, I, my, mo- my main focus is going to be, again, looking at what's happening in the second half. You know, it, it, are, we, are we getting in more execution issues? Is it more... Um, you know, the, the Colts are knowing what's coming to some degree from a play calling standpoint. Um, and then also looking, I, I want to look at Caleb Farley's performance and just see, uh, you know, closer, a closer look at, at kind of what he did and, you know, have a little bit better feel for where he's at and his development curve too. Well, let's get into Traylon Burks, but not in the way that I think everybody's expecting us to get into. Cause I think we can both agree that at the coaches, Traylon Burks and the 10 players that were on the field with Traylon Burks all did a poor job of handling that situation. So I think we can all agree with that. Yeah. And I think we can all agree that fuck this stadium turf that they have inside, <laughs> inside Lucas oil field has taken down another playmaker for this Tennessee Titans team. And we've all been waiting for the Traylon Burks, you know, breakout true breakout game. But the issue here is I, I got two questions. The first question is fairly simple. I think that you don't even try to get him out here this weekend. I think you just, you know, let him recover all the way through the bye week and test it out after the bye week. What are your thoughts on that? I Yeah, that's kind of what I think, too. I, I don't think it's not worth trying to run him back out there for this game, in my opinion. I mean, with the with the bye right behind it, 
I think you let him rest. You try to get him healthy for the Colts game. The Colts game is far more important. Um, you, you obviously want to win this this game against Washington. It's a winnable game. Um, it's one that you really, frankly, need to win uh, if you're going to make the the push that the Titans certainly hope that they can. Um, but if you're gonna if you're gonna you're not gonna push your first round pick wide receiver to try to be back for a, a non-conference game in week five of a 17 game season. Right. Like, it just makes zero sense. So, so put him on ice. And, and I think it would be silly for them to put him on IR right now though, because right. that would make him miss four games, not four weeks. So that, that would put him out for Washington, Indy, Houston, Kansas city. And I can't remember what the game after Kansas city is right now, but um, it would put him out for those four weeks. And given the time front time frames I've seen on this injury, you know, he could be back in two weeks, you know, after the buy. So I think it's um, very advantageous for them to just let him see how he heals and then make a decision after the buy. I, and, and I look at it this way, you, I don't necessarily think you need him for the commander's game to win this game because you have someone that's coming back from injury slowly in Kyle Phillips, who should, who wasn't inactive on Sunday versus the Colts. So he should be ready to rock and roll. And then you have Chigakonkwu, who we've said numerous times should be more involved in this offense. And if you got, if you have the need for a big slot proponent, kind of like what Traylon Burks is, but probably someone a little bit, uh, a bigger target than Traylon Burks is, then you could just slide in. Either of these guys give you what Traylon Burks would give at any given moment on top of Nick Whisper-Kikine and on lesser extent, Cody Hollister and Josh Gordon, those those guys who are just guys. But you have these other players in Chig and Kyle Phillips are actual NFL caliber pass catchers that can actually play this game. So I feel like to rush him back would be silly, and that's how you duplicate his production right you you use two people to duplicate his production that haven't been involved as much since Kyle Phillips since week one Chico Conquo has been off and on you so there's really not that much tape for the opposing team to study so you kind of have a little bit of advantage with these two players being being involved in this commander's game yeah I agree I I think hopefully Phillips's shoulder is is back because I mean that they only played him two snaps on offense in this past game and obviously didn't give him the punt return duties, which, you know, we they, they may not give those back uh, at this point. But um, obviously still hampered with the shoulder. It'll be interesting to see how much they use him. Because, again, like, if the shoulder's still a little iffy, you know, do you give him that bye week and try to get him right? I mean, it, it with Burks' injury, it makes that a little bit tougher to do. Um, because your numbers start to get really problematic at wide receiver if you don't have Phillips or Burks. But um, I don't know. I, I think Use it's him for like 10 snaps here and there. I mean, that's all I think you should yeah. do. I don't think you should play him full time unless he's fully ready to go. Yeah, if he's if he's fully back, then, yeah, you know, let him loose. But um, yeah, I think I think the Titans will be fine at wide receiver. I mean, frankly, like Woods has been better than I am expected early in the season like I thought we'd see him take a little bit more time to get up to speed he's been really good um they'll continue to feature him I'd like to see more Chig I'd like to see more Hooper um and I'd I'd like to see uh I mean frankly like Nick Westbrook Kikine is not exciting 
but he's been good. He's played well for them. You know, didn't get any targets this past week, but against the Raiders, he had three huge catches that were all tough, tough catches on third downs that were major conversions. So I think he's a guy that you can continue to use. Um, They're they're not in like a huge dire situation without Burks right now. I mean, obviously it limits a little bit the explosiveness of that group as a whole, but I'm not, terribly concerned given that you know woods has played well and and you've got chig possibly emerging here is he choking is your dog dying <laughs> he's been doing on? he's been doing this all morning it's annoying um <laughs> I mean, sounds like he's trying to cough cold. up a, a fur ball over there yeah i think he's got a cold i don't know he's, uh, he's a weird dog <laughs> I want to ask you a question because i thought this was an interesting look into what Vrabel thinks can get you a win. He said, he said in a press conference on Monday, passer rating, you win the run game and you don't have turnovers. Now, obviously the turnovers thing is a, is a pretty proven element. You know, you, it's very hard to win a game when you have a lot of turnovers, but I thought it was interesting because we do talk about this being such a vanilla offense. And it seems like he puts a lot of emphasis on the passer rating in the run game, which the passer rating can be really high regardless of your yardage total as long as you're just super efficient, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what are your thoughts on that? I just it's just an interesting side topic. It is interesting. I, I think Vrabel very much comes from the the mindset to me of like protect the football at all costs. Um, he's trying to limit turnovers and create turnovers, right? So like he wants to win the turnover battle, which all coaches do. But he puts, uh, I think, more emphasis on it than most. Um, and he he believes, in my opinion, that if you can win the turnover battle or at least prevent yourself from creating turnovers and then be great situationally, so third downs, red zone, that kind of thing, that you'll win most of the football games that you play. And I think he's right. And the Titans have been a fantastic red zone team under uh Vrabel during the time that he's been here I don't think that's an accident you look at how much they drill that in practice how much time they spend in those kind of situations it is intentional uh that they are good in the red zone and you know turnover wise they've mostly been good at limiting turnovers with the exception of last year of course when when Tannehill for some reason uh just I don't know forgot to look at linebackers for an entire season but um it's it's a good formula, but you know it. It also is walking a tightrope most games because you're not necessarily like parts of that equation are not necessarily like explosive plays or, or you know obviously they want to get those, but that's not as big of an emphasis as protecting the ball is. Um, so it's it's just an interesting mindset, but um, it's been effective. So I, I don't I don't know. So I got the I got the heckler that came in on uh, monday and for those that don't know his name's joe and he's hilarious and he is a he's a big fan of both our show and a football show and most and most of the content that is that is out there but he posed a, he posed a question i was setting up the the devices for the the production that we do and everything and he said you know if john robinson maybe have just hit or kept one or two of his first round draft picks, obviously he hit on Simmons and, and and you would be talking about a different looking team. So I ask of you, 
You got to pick two of John Robinson's first round draft picks to have on this team right now that you think that would have made a difference. And if you say Caleb Farley, you can say Caleb Farley. But what I'm saying is these draft picks, if they hit, who would have been valuable to have on this team right now? Hmm. Um, I don't Absolutely know. Tra- I, don't clue Traylon Burks because, I mean, he's on the team. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, as far as draft picks that would have. Yeah, just valuable. first rounders. So just you got – Corey Davis, Adoree Jackson, you have uh, Jack Conklin to choose from. You, I, I know you're not going to say Rashawn Evans, so we'll just skip over Rashawn Evans. And, of course, we got Jeffrey Simmons doing some good stuff here. You uh, uh, elite yeah. Caleb Farley, or the Caleb Farley, the prospect without the injury, what he was supposed to be. Those would be your choices right there. I'd say it's – I don't know. It's Oh, it, and Isaiah Wilson. Yeah. I mean, honestly – I'd say, I mean, Conklin's always hurt. Do we have to factor that in, or is he not hurt in this potential? I, I think I think Conklin has done enough to say that what you see is what you get with Conklin. Like okay. there is no projection. I don't think. I, I don't. I don't think it's fair to say you can get All Pro Jack Conklin every year. Okay. All right. Well, then I'll say I'll say Farley. I guess because it, you know the Titans are lacking a corner right now, and I. Maybe if you're looking at it long term, it's probably one of the tackles because if and when I, you know, Elijah Molden comes back, I think the Titans will be a lot better at corner than they are right now. Um, but yeah, I, I guess that would be where I'd be in. Yeah, it's it's a tough question because I mean it, it is just one player and it's not a it's not a quarterback, right? So it's not you know if you ask Vegas that none, none of these guys would move the line in any individual game by more than you know half a point at most. Um, so it's, it's an interesting question, but I, I think it's either Farley or probably Conklin, I guess. Yeah. I think I would go Conklin or Wilson and then Farley after that, because you, you hope that Wilson, you, you like what you get from Conklin, despite the injuries, you, you at least know that when he's in, you get an, uh, an elite level tackle. But when you look over at Isaiah Wilson, you think about, you, if he could have developed his physical traits, and that's what we're talking about, if if he would have been hit on, but if that would have been a hit for John Robinson and what John Robinson saw in Isaiah Wilson, he fulfilled that destiny. Then you're talking about a cascading effect, a ripple effect throughout the, the next few years that would have prevented other things from happening. You may have been able to, you know, not have to have NPF or you may have been able to focus on the left tackle or whatever. So to me, it's like, that is the pick. And how much emphasis do you pick? Cause we've talked about this on the show before that the John Robinson misses in the first round slash not getting the fifth year, the player to the next fifth year option. Isn't that big of an indictment on John Robinson? Cause he does hit on all these other players and all these other um, later round picks, including the second round picks and stuff. Do you still feel that way? Or do you feel that these misses are starting to catch up specifically first round misses are starting to add up to this team? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no doubt that first round misses are adding up to some degree because you can't have, I mean, you did get some good players, right? I mean, like yeah. the Conklin, Davis, Jackson group, those are all good football players. And they it's would help not like you got players. first round production out of some of those players. Like you got you got games played by yeah. Rashawn Evans, 
but you never really got really great at Dory Jackson. That's obviously happening over at the Giants. You never got really, really great Corey Davis. That I, I do, that first I do think they briefly got really great at Dory Jackson because at the end of that uh, 2019 season, he was really, really good. And I thought he was trending towards being a clear cornerback one in the league. And then he obviously had the injury riddled 2020 that sabotaged his time here. And then he went to the Giants and immediately became really good for them too. Um, so I think, I think we did see it. It was just, we didn't see it for long enough to know for sure that it was real. Right. And, and I think the time in New York has kind of confirmed that what we saw at the end of 2019 was real development, um, from him, but your overall point, I agree with like, I mean, it's, it's certainly hurting the team. Like there's zero doubt about it because you're spending the fact that they didn't bring back Conklin cost them a first round pick and a second round pick ultimately. Right. Um, now I think it's fair to argue that maybe Conklin, given how much time he's missed, you still would be starting some scrub at right tackle, uh, for a big chunk of the last few years, but it, I guess at least you'd be starting a scrub there and you would have a first round pick and a second round pick that you'd spent somewhere else that maybe could have helped the team. Right. So right. Uh, there's stuff like that, that, um, continues to compound itself that is problematic. And, and I think it's. It's, there's zero doubt of this as hurting the team, but I also think you know some of the people that are already calling for Robinson to be fired and stuff are kind of crazy people because it's his record speaks for itself at this point. He's been here for however many years, six years uh, already, going on his seventh. He's yet to have a losing season, made the playoffs four years, you know, all, all, won the division too. Like all that's great. Um, he's we've already reached team. Mike Vrabel should be fired. Well, and yeah, and won't those. win a Super Bowl. The Titans will never win a Super Bowl because of Mike Vrabel after a win, which is un- utterly, un- it was unheard of. I feel like in my in in I can understand after the losses, especially the Giants' loss, the Bills' loss. You know, I'll give you those. You know, throw out whatever you want, get in your feels. This is after a win. It's kind yeah. of wild. It's ridiculous. And I, I posted the, I looked up the top 10 and I do this from time to time, just out of curiosity to see where guys are stacking up the top 10 active coaches, as far as winning percentage in the NFL right now, variable sixth. And frankly, if he wins the next three games, which, you know, they'll be favored in all three of them. If he wins the next three games, he'll probably jump into fourth. Um, or yeah, yeah, I think fourth. So, um, he's been very, very good. He's been very, very good. And look, he's done it all without a elite quarterback, you know, and Tannehill is fine and he's a above average quarterback, but he's not elite. He's not one of these guys like Mahomes or, you know, Allen or Lamar even that are just carrying teams on their back um, and carrying offenses on their back by themselves. Like clearly there's a lot that has to go into the Titans being functional on offense. And they have been that for most of the last four years under Vrabel. So I, I think it's, insane that people want Rabel fired um it's less crazy when people want robinson fired but still like he's absolutely earned the opportunity to like fix it and right the ship a little bit even if this season if the season does go off the rails like and, and it might not it, it might not be a terrible season it might not be as good a season as what you know maybe we've all hoped or or were were expecting um but honestly I don't know. I don't know about you, but my expectations after after the offseason were not that they were going to be a Super Bowl contender. I, I thought they were going to be a 
they would win the division, probably not win as many games as they did last year. I figured I picked them to go to 11 and six um, and win the division and then probably be bounced in the first round of the playoffs again. That's kind of what my expectations were. And that's still yeah. kind of where my expectations are. That's, that's my expectations. The, the, the thing is, is that I also look at it from the angle of what their expectations are and their expectations as far as what they say publicly is they are building a Super Bowl team and their Super Bowl window isn't closed or near closed. I don't know if that's living in reality for them or if that's just lip service, but I, I just, you know, those words still ring true in my mind that that's what they've said, but those are not my expectations. My expectations have been that all along. I, I think it's interesting, though, that people think it's so easy to find a head coach. I, I don't know if they're new here, I feel like some of these people were around during, you know, after Fisher got fired for that slate of NFL head coaches that came through here, but it's not easy. And I go back and watch Sunday's games, watch all these terrible, terrible teams making horrible decisions. And I think, you know, I give Mike Vrabel a lot of shit and you should, because there are certain things that he does poorly. And there's certain things that have gotten out of control in this particular season that's kind of derailed the normal Titans kind of game plan but he's still a better coach than 90 percent of the league i am i know that's a high number but there are very few coaches that i'm going to take over mike vrabel on game day and i i mean you you can just as easily get a matt rule as you can get a mike vrabel in the nfl in fact or i was brandon staley you yeah, know i in fact think that it's a lot harder to get a Mike Vrabel than it is to get a Matt Rule in this league. And and let's not re- forget that all these people are like, well, you know, an offensive-minded head coach, we really, that's what we need. Look at all these offensive-minded head coaches that just flame out year after year. Adam Gase was an offensive-minded head coach. Matt Rule, offensive-minded head coach. The um, You got all kinds of guys that have came through. You Everybody's laughing at Zach Stacy right now after his... Uh, game plan the other day Mike McDaniel jury still out sure it's exciting but he also just got his quarterback killed by choices that he made there's a lot more that goes on a game for a head coach and a lot of these offensive play callers or these former offensive geniuses fall into a trap where they take too much on and screw everything up and they don't live up to the expectations I mean you just look around the league and you'll point through the play the coaches over the years Mike Vrabel's just so far beyond any of these head coaches that it's okay to give him shit and be angry about certain things that he does. But to say that the Titans will never win because of him, they may never win with him, but it's not ever going to be because of Mike Vrabel unless he physically goes out there and starts breaking people's ankles or something like he himself does that. Yeah, I I think the Titans, Robinson and Vrabel both, are not perfect. There's definitely things that drive me nuts. Like the refusal to believe or listen to or care about analytics. Um, you know, the the fact that they want to be so run heavy on first down and and all that. Those things drive me nuts. And I understand the frustration. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's about winning football games. And they have done a really good job of that uh when they've been here. And yeah, they haven't had the playoff success that everyone would like them to, but you know, it, I think, uh, yeah, somebody was in the, in my mentions not too long ago on Twitter saying, you know, that, oh, Rabel, Rabel should be fired because if you haven't won a Super Bowl after four years, you know, you should be can. I'm like, 
Andy Reid didn't win a Super Bowl yeah. until like he was in the league for like 10 years or longer. Oh my God. It had to be longer than that. It was like 20, I think, once you count the Eagles years. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's insane to say that after four years, if your head coach hasn't won a Super Bowl, you should fire him and hire another one because, like, how many coaches would be fired? Because if you look, four teams have won Super Bowls in the past four years. Does so 28 teams need to fire their coach right now? Like, that's Andy Reid, listen, Andy Reid has been a head coach for 24 years and he has one Super Bowl championship and he's just been to the Super Bowl two other times before that. So he's only been NFC champion once, AFC champion once, and Super Bowl champions once. In and- 24 years and you know, you know that if it came down to it that that if you if you had to give Mike Vrabel 24 years, this team, this this fan base couldn't do it. No, it, it, that's the thing. And everyone would agree that Andy Reid's a great head coach, right? I mean, right. Like everyone would agree. It's really freaking hard to win Super Bowls. That's why what Bill Belichick did was so amazing. And maybe that's what spoiled people to a certain degree is they look at it and they say, well, Belichick was winning it like every year or every other year for, you know, two decades. Why can't my team do that? Well, look at Mike Tomlin, 16 years in a league, and he's just now in his 16th year. And by the way, one Super Bowl champion in 16 years, one Super Bowl championship in 16 years with the same team. He's just now on the verge of having his possibly first losing season. Yeah. And John Harbaugh is another one. Everyone considers him to be a great coach. He won one. He's won one Super Bowl. He's been head coach of the Ravens for 15 years. Um, one Super Bowl. and. I look, and he's kind of like Vrabel in that he took over a team that was already pretty good. Um, but it took him five years to win that Super Bowl. It, it took him five years to to finally break through in 2012, and he did it with with Joe Flacco. You know, so um, I think Harbaugh's a great coach, but one Super Bowl in 15 years, like it, you just aren't going to win the Super Bowl every year. Like, and I know I'm not trying to say like we should lower the bar, or lower expectations, and say, well, you know, winning the you know, we shouldn't want to try to win the Super Bowl. Of course you want to try to win the Super Bowl, but it's really freaking hard to do, and I think people have to recognize that. Uh, one more. Uh, Pete Carroll. How long has Pete Carroll been in the NFL? He had two uh, head coaching jobs before he ended up in Seattle, both of which he failed at miserably. Uh, well, I guess New England. He wasn't totally terrible, but he still got fired. Um and then he goes to Seattle, has two losing seasons, finally breaks through, has a winning season, then wins the Super Bowl in his fourth year there. Um, 17 years as a head coach. It's been 17 years as a head coach, one Super Bowl. Still one of the top 10 active coaches in winning percentage. Great coach, zero doubt about it. What he's doing with Geno Smith right now is amazing. I thought they were going to be terrible. They actually look pretty good. It, it is super hard. You've got to give Vrabel time. Uh, and I would love to see him with a quarterback that's better than Tannehill at some point and see what he could do. Because if you look at a lot of those coaches, when they did have their success, it was with a transcendent talent at quarterback. Uh, and you paired him up with, uh, you know, it, what we mentioned, which, by the way, not on purpose, but all of these guys, defensive coaches, you know, that we just talked about besides Andy Reid. Um, and they've had sustained success in the league for a long time. So, Vrabel can win. I think that I think this team will win a Super Bowl with him at some point as head coach. Uh, but you're gonna have to be a little bit patient. Like it might not, it's 
it's not going to happen this year. I'll, I'll tell you that. I'm, I'm going to say 0.5% right chance according to football outsiders. Yeah, this it, team it, wins the Super Bowl. This team is not good enough to win the Super Bowl this year, unless it, it, they just go on some miracle run. I mean, it would take a miracle run in the playoffs. It would take a miracle run and then signing Odell Beckham and he'd be never, he never miss a beat. Like it has well, to take a little bit more or, or than like that in my mind. Traylon Burks turns into prime TO in the yeah. middle of the season, you know, something like that. But it's, I think it's, uh, it's going to take a little bit of time, but Vrabel has certainly earned the right to get there. And and like, I'm pissed about the way they did clock management in this game at the end of the half and, and Tannehill. Just, not, this has been but, such a, a year that weird. it's non Vrabel mistakes that it's, I feel will so get backwards. corrected. Right. Yeah. And like these, those are the things that I feel like will get corrected. Even the first half versus second half thing is backwards. It's all backwards this year for the yeah. Titans for whatever reason. While it's at the same time seeming stunningly familiar, you know, it's, it's right. kind of just one of those weird years, but I think we give it time. Four games can be a super small sample size, uh, at, you know, to make huge sweeping judgments off of. So let's see what the offensive line looks like and, you know, three or four weeks after the bye and, and all that. Let's see what the offense is doing. Let's see what the second halves are looking like. If, if the clock management stuff is still popping up and maybe then we can start talking about a little bit more of that, you know, Hey, is this this way, you know, it's okay to set your expectations at the Super Bowl for this team. I feel like maybe not this year, but I think that's a respectable bar to clear, right? That's what you want. But you also have to realize how hard it is to achieve that expectation. That is like like super boss level shit to even get to the Super Bowl. You have to have so much go your way. The Bengals were so fucking lucky on their way to the Super Bowl. And Zach Stacy, he wasn't a good head coach before Zach, last uh, year. He wasn't a good is it not? Probably. No, Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor. Yeah. Oh, Zach Stacy's that fucking yeah, running, running back. back yeah. Hey, listen, Zach Taylor wasn't great. A great coach before Joe Burrow. He's not been that great of a coach with Joe Burrow. It's just been Joe Burrow throwing a Justin, um, Jamar Chase, you know, going crazy. But the offensive line saws have been fixed. They were so lucky last year. Lamar Jackson went down with the injury. We wouldn't even be talking about the Cincinnati Bengals. Like everything had to go their way. The difference with Vrabel is nothing goes the Titans' way. There is nothing that happens that goes the Titans' way year after year. It's They're always battling something. And he's still pulling out quality wins. Yeah, there's some shitty losses in, in, in all that. But it's so difficult to even make it to the Super Bowl. It's just so hard. And I think you're right. The Patriots just spoiled everybody and has ruined, like, how hard it is to get to the Super Bowl for this team. And to be honest, they went out and had to get Wes Welker and Randy Moss and and draft all these guys and hit on these guys, which they don't do very often. Like, they lucked into Gronk and, and at the time, Aaron Hernandez. But if you go back and look at their draft history, it's not very good. No. And so everything, and they got to play in the world's shittiest division for the longest time. Now the Titans are in the world's shittiest division. But... In the end, they lucked into a six-round pick being a Hall of Fame greatest of all time quarterback. That is just it's just luck at a certain point that you luck into that guy being who he is. Well, and it took Tom Brady forever to become that guy, too, right? right. Like obviously he won the uh won the Super Bowl pretty immediately, but that was a Super Bowl he won largely as a passenger on that team. I mean, that was like 
he threw like 18 touchdowns and, and 12 interceptions that season or something like that. Yeah. It was, you know, and, and it wasn't until like he'd been a starter there for like at least four or five years until it became like, okay, Brady is really the driving force behind this team for the longest time. It was the defense. And, and that is, that's something that I think we also have to to consider, especially when you look at like developing a quarterback, which the Titans are, you know, finally trying to do right now. Um, you're going to have to give a guy time. Like it, it just, it, it takes time and that can be frustrating. And, and when you, have to sit there and watch other teams, you know, have success and, and things like that. I know it's, it can be very frustrating, but these things take time. I think the Titans have good leadership, good direction right now. Generally it's just, you know, it isn't, you're not going to win the, the the whole thing every year. You're not going to be the best team in the league every year. It, it just, sometimes you got to be okay yeah. with being good and, and not great. Speaking of a team that doesn't have that great of a head coach and a head coach that's bounced around and got numerous jobs, the Tennessee Titans go to face Ron Rivera and the Washington football team. Mike, obviously a win is what should be expected. Will, if you're putting money on this game, how many points in the second half are the Titans scoring? I listen, I'm going to say they reverse the trend and they score at least 10 points in the second half. All right. 10 points in the more, second more half. More than they've like scored it. in the second half all season to this point. Yeah. I mean, is that kind of what you need to see if the first half dominance is on the split? We've seen that not only is this team the best offensive team in the first half, but it's also the best scripted team in the first half. And then in the second half, it is the worst offensive team by efficiency. And it is the one of the it is the worst team on non-scripted plays. So you want to see those little needles move in this game as you head into the bye. Because I feel like if you're heading into the bye week and you score some points in the second half and you put it together a good four quarters, that during the bye week your team is feeling good, it gets healthier. I recommend not playing Bud Dupree this week. I think you should sit him as well, just because. I, I just don't think that this this team is is that much of a threat, and maybe I'm underplaying what the Washington Commanders can do. But I think that if you get a full four quarters from this game, which is all we've been wanting, and you're heading into the bye, that does huge things for the mentality and the mental state of this team. Yeah, I think so. I, I think you'd like to see some yeah some demons vanquish in, in the second half, and and maybe you know. Um, just a more complete showing against a team that they should beat. I mean, look, the commanders are not terrible. They, they obviously, they beat the Jaguars in week one, which, you know, now, of course, if you listen to anybody, week the one's a liar. The, the, the funniest, the funniest thing I feel like from the previous week, um, and it didn't really hit me until like very late in the week. Cause I'd listened to a bunch of NFL podcasts by that point. And you know, I I'd heard it multiple times by that point and people saying, Jaguars Eagles might be a matchup of the two best teams in the league right now. I'm like, what? Like, are, <laughs> two weeks ago we were saying the Buffalo Bills might be uh, going to 17 and 0, and then it takes one loss uh, to Miami, and then all of a sudden it's the Jaguars are better than them. I, you know what are we talking about here? Um, but it, the Jaguars have proven to be pretty decent. At least they're they're a decent team. So the, the Commanders beat them. Um, 
it's not a you know the the commanders have also lost to some really bad teams they lost to what the lions uh had they lost uh did they play the falcons i'm trying to remember who they've uh already already lost to but regardless they're not a very good team um but they've got enough talent to where they could beat you uh if you have a bad game and and look wince is wince is a little bit scary in these kind of matchups just because he, yes he's bad but he's very like up and down. Like he has wild extremes. Like he's either the worst quarterback in the world or like, you know, a guy that can put a team on his back for a game. Um, the problem is he can't do that consistently over 17 games. Right. So I, that's, that's where he falters, but I do worry a little bit about Wentz against the secondary. If Amadi and, you know, it sounds like Molden's going to continue to be out, but, if they don't have Amadi, if they don't have Hooker, if they're still playing Andrew Adams and and Terrence Mitchell and stuff like that, I worry a little bit about that matchup with the the Commanders passing game. Um, but I don't know. It's a game they should win. It's a game yeah. the Titans should win, even yeah, on the road. This game, you want Amani Hooker, and you are okay with missing out on Bud Dupree. If Ola Daney is back, which he was trending in that way last week, and so maybe – He'll trend that way furthermore. I think giving Bud Dupree maybe two weeks of rest is fine. Um, but you definitely want Amani Hooker and Amadi back for this passing attack. I, I think the Titans are going to score 14 points in the first half, 17 points in the second half. And so I think they're going to score 31 points, and they're going to win 31 to 20. That's what I'm going to put it at. Okay. All right. I think I think that's about right. I, I think uh I think the Titans should be able to score against this defense. The the uh Washington's corners have been really bad, which uh is a little surprising because I think they paid a ton of money for William Jackson and then uh they had uh one of the Fuller brothers over there. Um but they've struggled at corner. Um they've got terrible linebackers. I think Derrick Henry's gonna run all over them. Um I, I think the Titans are gonna win this game, but any anytime you're on the road in the NFL, it, it's tough. So it, it'll be interesting to see how this one plays. I mean, it's out. back to back road games. You, you and you, but you have to win this game, right? Like, right. If you go into the bye two and three, coming off a loss to the Commanders, it's gonna it's gonna be a a much different vibe around St. Thomas Sports Park than it would be if they go in three and two and you're sitting there going, "Yeah, look, we blew that one against the Giants. We had a no show against the Bills, but we've righted the ship. We're we're." on the right path and we're going to come out and dump truck the the Colts in Nashville when we come off this bye and and you know move on with the rest of our season. Especially so. if you drop the game by not scoring any points. Yes. Like yes, if you yeah. if you don't score any points in the second half and you drop the game, oh man, this is you might as well just turn off Twitter at this point. Yeah, it it's um and it does sound like Chase Young is not going to be able to play in this game. Yes. Uh, at least early indications are. So um hoping that's the case for the I sake do worry of the that they because they, they got some uh, beef and strength in their defensive line uh, yeah. up front and in the middle and so i do worry about aaron at a bad aaron brewer game approaching us jonathan allen is a problem he's he's yeah. easily the biggest problem on that defense right now without chase young in there so um certainly something to keep an eye on but Look, Brewer's, Brewer's been okay. He's, he didn't get killed by DeForest Buckner this week. Now, it was Buckner with one arm, yeah. <laughs> but uh, he at least didn't get killed by him. Uh, that will do it for us. This is Football Under the F-Words. My name is Zach Lyons. You can follow me on Twitter at F-WordsPod. This is Mike Herndon. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Herndon NFL. You can read his pieces 
on Wednesday at paulkarski.com. It'll be out by the same time that this podcast is out, so you can listen to this podcast and head over there and read the article. And then over on Thursday, you can go to broadwaysportsmedia.com. If you do not have an annual pass, get your annual pass. It's the cheapest way to get one. It's the cheapest way for membership, and then you'll be able to listen to Mike Herndon Breakdown Film, or you can watch it because it's also on video. And this is also on video. This is on YouTube. So head over to the Broadway Sports Media YouTube page, turn on notifications, get everything you can over there. Then also, while you're there on YouTube, go to 440 Sports and turn on notifications there because you get all their podcasts in video form. And you get a football show and set those notifications on because we do that live Mondays at 1 p.m. at the pharmacy and Thursday at 1 p.m. from our houses. You know, nowhere fancy. And don't forget to go to our sponsor, Jaspers. They are elevating the neighborhood sports bar scene. They got TVs everywhere. They got Jenga. They got board games. They have two-for-one beers on Sunday. They have delicious food. Go to Jasper's in Nashville and just have a damn good time at Jasper's. And we've had a damn good time on this show today. Like I said, my name is Zach Lyons. He's Mike Curtin. This is Football and Other F-Words. And you have just been f A Broadway Sports Media Production.